I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they played over the last eight weeks since that kind of post Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. A cream suit. Do we read anything into uh, is anybody wearing a cream suit? I mean, white suits, cup finals, all that kind of stuff. I was like, ooh, this is a brave <laughs> choice. That is... It's an extremely ballsy move, isn't it? Yeah. Because, I mean, I always, when I see a cream suit, I think back to when I was doing A-level politics and um, our teacher was wearing cream, I guess they were chinos, comes in in cream chinos. And uh, he'd obviously visited the men's room prior to coming and he had been uncareful. And when you do that and you come into a room featuring various 17-year-old kids, some of them boys, you've got to expect that it's going to get pointed out. And it did. <laughs> And um, that is what I saw Ten Hag and I thought, oh, mate, you are an extremely brave individual. Perhaps those, that is a kind of quality that United needs, someone who says no to convention. Uh, and what did he say in the actual press conference that, uh, that gives you any <laughs> comfort? Or, like, does any of this stuff matter? Like, I, I, sometimes it does. It only matters if you screw it up, really. Isn't that the point? I, I mean, you'd have to try quite hard to screw it up. I mean, because what you've, like he wasn't asked any particularly searching questions. I find that in press conferences quite a lot of the time. Um, I know that, I, I, I don't mean all people who are in press conferences when I say this, but you can tell quite a lot of the time. When you, I haven't sat in that many, but I've sat in enough to know that people ask questions because they want a particular answer. Then a lot of the time they're not asking questions because they want to find out a particular or even an interesting piece of information. Their editor wants a particular headline about a particular subject. They ask as many questions as they possibly can trying around that one subject to get a particular answer. But Ten Hag also went in there with absolutely no intention of giving anything away. So I felt the same things that I thought about Ten Hag prior to that I feel afterwards now that it felt like he's tough and he's definitely tough enough to be United manager. I'm not certain whether he's compelling enough, but perhaps he doesn't have to be compelling. Perhaps the compelling aspect comes through players seeing that he knows what he's talking about, the football gets better and he becomes compelling in that way. Like he doesn't have Klopp's easy charm, but you don't have to have that necessarily. Tuchel doesn't have it either. He's just, Tuchel's a good talker when he gets going and Guardiola is something else again. But Guardiola Guardiola is a very specific thing because he started with that first job where he had some of the greatest players of all time. He made them better. So he comes to every job with players knowing that well, look, he improved the greatest players ever, some of them. He's gonna, and the players know he's going to make them better and he's going to win. So Guardiola's charisma is not really, doesn't seem to me to be in his actual, rooted in his actual personality, is rooted in his achievements. And I guess Ten Hag, whilst probably being less of a weirdo and less of a hypocrite about human rights issues, is more like that than like Klopp. But anyone who speaks about Ten Hag says the players love him. Um, I think that he'll also know that he has a monstrous job to do. So that should enable him to pick quite a few of his own players rather than deal with the detritus that he's been left. Will the players respect that, I guess, caution from Ten Hag in the press more given what's happened over the last few months? Like, for example, did they take Ranić's honesty badly in, in his public pronouncements? Are we back to talking about the trousers? <laughs> um, I I don't know. Um, I, I, I we don't know. Like these players are experts in seeing off managers, and hopefully there's going to be very few of them left. 
Uh, I'm not personally bothered remotely by their delicate sensitivities and sensibilities. I, 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 I doubt Ten Hag is because they've absolutely disgraced themselves this season. Even against Palace, with their new manager watching, they couldn't pull their fingers out and put in a serious amount of effort. Um, so I think quite a lot of them are going to be gone. And I definitely don't think that Ten Hag should or will be pandering to the fact that they might be feeling or might be a bit delicate because that's not going to work. Ole was quite delicate with them. It didn't work and they shafted him. And I don't think that Ten Hag will be delicate with them. I think that it will be tough. He knows that they're not fit enough. And he knows that they're not good enough. And they're going to have to either address that immediately in pre-season or they're going to have to find somewhere else to play. And that already applies to quite a few of them now. I mean, so many of them are leaving anyway. And I think we've already been told that Aaron Wan-Bissaka has been informed he can go. Uh, and I, I doubt very much he'll be the last. I mean, it's great telling Arwan Basaka and maybe Phil Jones and a few others that they can go, but no one's going to pay them the same wage as they're on. So maybe Manchester United have decided that they're willing to contribute 25, 35, 40, 50% of, of their salary to a new club, unless Newcastle decide that they're going to be silly and, and spend too much money. Um, so uh, like, if, if that does happen, I would be impressed because I think the right thing to do is to raise everything to the ground and to start rebuilding with players who you know are your players whether or not they're good enough straight away the trouble with that yeah. is that it takes a bit longer like it I, I'm sure Ten Hag has been told that because just of the way he spoke yesterday that he'll, he'll have seen what has happened to other managers at United where they've been promised stuff and it hasn't materialised he saw what happened with Mourinho at the end where basically Woodward went in public and said well actually we didn't agree with Mourinho's transfer targets I mean Turned out Woodward was right. I mean, but doesn't matter. You, if the second the board start doing something like that, the manager's toast. And I'm sure that Tenach um, has said to them that the players that need to go need to go because ultimately, a player who's sat on the bench doing nothing for you, take, taking wages off you, is an expense. So if you get rid of that player for some money and paying some wages, you're still quids in relative to where you would have been if you just had that player sitting around making the place look miserable. So the question now, I think, is probably not so much about whether the board are prepared to take a loss on players that the manager doesn't want. It's do they have the acumen to get the deals done, both ins and outs, and quite a lot of them spinning plates at the same time. And uh, there is no evidence to suggest that they do. However, most of the people that have been cluttering up the place with their nonsense for the last 10 or so years have gone or are going. So there is hope that there is a little bit more expertise and footballing expertise than there was previously. Uh, Rannick was saying on Sunday that out of the starting 11, other than Edinson Cavani, the other 10 will be at the club next season. Does that give you hope? In, in, or does that just make you feel, oh God, what, what are we in for again next season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, most of the players that started, I guess I would have expected to stay. As in, I mean, uh, so if you look at the team that play, De Gea will be the goalkeeper next season. Henderson will be gone either permanently or on loan. I imagine they'd probably want to sell him permanently because he's going to be an all right goalkeeper. He's going to be a Premier League goalkeeper, I imagine. He's probably not going to be good enough for United because he's not particularly good at anything. He's not great shot stopper. 
he's not great with his feet. He's better. He's not bad at organising the defence. But if you're taking defenders taking orders off a goalkeeper they don't particularly trust to stop stuff, is also probably not that helpful. So I imagine Dean Henderson will go. De Gea will stay. Dallo played. Um, he's not good enough. But I guess Tenach isn't doesn't think he's signing two right backs, so he's picked one. Um, and Brandon Williams will probably go as well. So that makes some sense, even though I'm not a fan of Dallo. Maybe someone, maybe they'll buy a right back. Selling Harry Maguire at this point would be a problem. And Victor Lindelof also. So I guess the centre-backs will be Maguire, Lindelof, Varane, and they're going to sign one who will play with Varane. That will be the first choice. So again, I'd much rather, I'd happy to see the end of Maguire and Lindelof, but it's not realistic to think that they're selling Maguire, Lindelof, Jones and Bailly, and then that, and two and Zebi, and then they have to buy some centre-backs. It just seems unlikely. Um, Telles was there. I mean, he isn't any good. But Luke Shaw's not reliably fit enough, and I guess left-back will be a position they address next summer. Uh, who else played in that game? Um, McFred, Bruno, McFred, McFred and Bruno. Again, Bruno will, I'm sure, be... Ma- Bruno has had a, a dreadful season and obviously uh, created the goal for Palace, but with a proper manager and proper better players around him and proper idea of what they're doing, I'm sure he'll be much better. McFred, again, like they're reliable. McFred, they're good first reserves, even though T in particular has had an astonishingly awful season and inexplicably so in some ways. But what's odd about McTominay is that he he, he is a number eight, not a number six. But the extent to which he's unable to play number six is baffling in that he regularly takes up positions where the keeper and the defenders can't find him to get the ball out and he stands in the cover shadow. And I don't understand because he doesn't seem particularly thick or dense. And I don't understand why he's unable to do that. And the only other sensible answer is that he's hiding. But I'm certain that he wouldn't do that either. So I'm hoping that with some decent some decent instructions, McTominay will be better. But yeah, him and Fred are good reserves. I wouldn't expect either of them to be in the first choice 11 next season, but as rotation players where you've got other good players around them, they're both okay. Um, Anthony Alanga, um, he, he has some ability, but even the chance that he missed on Saturday and Sunday, and I would never want to boil down someone and say, well, look, that goes to show because all players miss chances, all players miss easy chances. It wasn't that easy a chance, but to me, it really encapsulated the problem that I have with him in that everything feels rushed and snatched at, and I don't see the technical ability and composure of a United centre-forward. But who knows? I mean, again, maybe with a bit of coaching, he'll be better, but he's not at the level that even Danny Welbeck was at at that age, who had a much better, much more adhesive touch and I think better awareness too. So we'll see. But yeah, I wouldn't have expected United to sell him either. Cavani's going and that's more or less the team, isn't it? So yeah, I'm not surprised by any of those things. I'm not getting I'm not getting agitated by any of those things because much as we'd basically all like to keep Varane, Sancho, maybe Rashford and um and Bruno and sell everyone else, it's not feasible. So yeah. Um, it, more or less, the ones that have to go will go, and the ones that have to go just that little bit less will stay. Are you happy that Ronaldo seems to be staying at the moment? I think it depends how he's going to be used. United got to have a new centre forward, and they need to find. But as much as that, they need to find a new way of playing. And the problem there is that. 
they're not the centre forward that they're going to buy, who's going to be a part of the, however Ten Hag decides he wants to play, is not going to play in the way that Ronaldo does. So that is slightly problematic, but because it. But on the other hand, if Ronaldo plays half the number of games, he'll have the energy to do quite a lot more running, and that is something that Ten Hag will have to put his foot down about because. Ronaldo was good at the beginning of the season and good at the end of the season, but totally lost his way in the middle when there are a lot of games coming. And Tenach is going to need to be strong in telling Ronaldo that he's not... One second, I feel that there's someone peeping around the door, peeping around the wall. But Ronaldo is going to have to tell Tenach that he's not going to play in half the games. And also, he's going to need to be very defined about the role he wants from him. If he's going to play, say, in the way that he's been using Sebastian Allaire as a hold-up player... He's going to score fewer goals and he's going to need to alter his game slightly. If he's going to be a one-touch finishing kind of player, which was the player I thought that Ole would want him to be, then they're probably going to need another winger as well because I think that Jaden Sancho is capable of providing the kind of service that allows those one-touch near-post penalty spot finishes, the cutbacks, the way that we see City play quite a lot of the time. But there's no one really on the right-hand side that's going to provide that. So it... I don't have a problem with Ronaldo staying because ultimately in the back of my mind, there's also, if Ronaldo hadn't have been there this season, how unremittingly awful it would have been. I mean, not unremittingly awful, how even more unremittingly awful it would have been. But there's going to need to be some rules laid down about how often Ronaldo is going to play and what is going to be expected of him. Yeah. The, like I mean, the, it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of does kind of transpire early next season. I guess the the, the question would be regarding the the level of patience that I guess Manchester United fans will afford Ten Hag. Like, did, did you sense that amongst the Manchester United fan base that patience wore thin with Ranick more so because of the fact that he was all only there for a temporary amount of time and everybody knew that come the end of the season he, he wasn't going to be in the the managerial role. Whereas it'll kind of reset come August. That if it isn't a great first half of the season, it'll be like, okay, this is a this is a long term project. Uh, I think patience ran thin with Ragnik because it was so crap. Yeah, and where it comes to a point where you're just getting absolutely nothing out of the players, it's not possible for these players to produce a worse half season that under Ragnik than they have. And so patience is running thin on that basis. I think it's with with Ten Hag he will have some patience in the beginning because he's inherited a mess. And but the thing is, is that it which should get better quite quickly, quite significantly because it's so bad already. And he's going to have hopefully minimum four, maybe six, seven different players. So he's going to have a very different team. And I think with all the managers post Fergie, the thing that unites the way that the majority of match going fans have responded to them is that, as it's fine until it becomes obvious that it's not getting better. So there'll always be people that didn't like the managers to begin with. I didn't like Moyes to begin with. I could not believe that United went for Moyes. I thought that it was it was ludicrous that Fergie did it, but it was even more ludicrous that Fergie was allowed to do it because the idea that David Moyes was had done anything to prove himself to be even a candidate, not the best candidate, was insane. And so I was one of those people who, I guess, I was supporting the team in the, in the ground, but I was waiting for Moyes to fail. So I never really had any patience with Moyes. 
but people lost their patience with Moyes with the, I think probably the time, with, where, like they got a slapping from City very early on, but the time people really lost their patience with Moyes when they were kind of losing at home to Newcastle and Southampton and those million crosses against Fulham. Then Van Gaal, I mean, I, I was sort of quite happy with Van Gaal because I thought that he was going to be practical. He'd come off a World Cup where he'd done an amazing job with Holland, where they basically got to the semi-finals because of him and his tactical interventions. And he played really negatively with Holland. And I thought that was because he was being practical. That was the way that Holland had to play to succeed. So he turned up at United and I thought that he was going to play some good football because that was really what he'd done a lot, a lot of the way through his career. And he signed some good attackers. And they played this one match against Leicester really early on. United were 3-1 up and lost 5-3. And they played, I think they played a diamond in that game with Di Maria was in it. And then they had maybe Rooney behind Van Persie and Falcao. So loads of attackers. And in getting to 3-1, they played some absolutely brilliant football. They're the player, I think Raphael, did he get sent off? I think wrongly sent off. And they gave a penalty away as well. And they ended up losing 5-3. And after that, it was just negativity all the way. And that was the problem with Van Gaal, was the negativity. People start to lose their patience. And then there was a period over Christmas, he ended up getting fired at the end of the season. And at that point, it was obvious it was never getting better. It was never going to be good. And so at that point, when you're waiting for a manager to be sacked, he gets miserable. Same with Mourinho. He picks McTominay instead of Pogba in Sevilla. Lots of people had already lost their patience before then. United then get absolutely dominated at home by Sevilla in the return. And you know at that point, that it's not getting for it's not going to get good. It's got so bad. The manager it's got so bad because of the way that the manager manages that it's not possible to get good again. Same with Ole. A lot of people lost patience with Ole. Thought Ole was rubbish from the beginning. Fair enough. I see the argument. For me, I saw constant improvements until the beginning of the season that's just finished. And for me, the point at which it was like, okay, it's obvious this is not possible. It's not possible for this to get better anymore. Was when they got battered at Leicester, when just the same errors that kept getting made got made again that are a consequence of the particular style of Ole's management and at that point you know and I would say with Tenach because he's got such a lot of work to do the point at which hope is lost seems like it's quite a way in the distance but also the point from where it is now gives him so much scope to improve that's it that I think that because of the scope to improve, we're going to see it get better because it can only get better. He's going to sign some good players this summer. I'm not worried that he's going to do what Moyes did or what was done to Moyes, I guess both of those things, and go and sign Maran Fellaini on deadline day and that be it. Yeah. He's going to sign For some players. And yes, and he's going to sign players okay. that, he, that he knows how to get the best from yeah. because he has a way that he wants to play. He's not dealing with the mess of everyone else in as much as all the other managers were because Everybody's he's either. clearing the decks. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Okay, last question for me on this. Um, I was wondering why the Man United fans were happier that Manchester City were winning the league than Liverpool because ultimately I think that what's happening at Liverpool is largely down to Jurgen Klopp and when the Klopp cycle finishes as it will, as all great managers' cycles finish, then uh, Liverpool will come back to the pack. Manchester City are based on an endless supply of money where literally the money grows and grows and grows and grows day on day and so therefore they are now going to be established as the power brokers of English football forever so anything that slows them down anything that halts their progress anything that makes Pep less interested in staying that like somehow maybe they could get a bad manager in there maybe but even then it'll be six months and they'll just get the next best 
manager in the world who they pay all the money to. So if I was a Man United fan, I would personally have preferred Liverpool to win than Manchester City to win, notwithstanding the traditional rivalry and the power and the titles. Am I wrong okay. about that? Uh, well, I can only say what I think and I can explain the various the various issues and we can we can we can try I don't know. So first of all, I think that in general, people that haven't grown up in the playgrounds of Manchester and working in Manchester and living in Manchester are gonna have less antipathy for City than people that did. So because they don't they don't they're not hanging around city fans all the time. So I think partly if you see people, some, so for me, I, I didn't grow up in Manchester. I mean, I grew up to dislike Man City because my dad raised me to dislike Manchester City and to dislike Leeds. But what I saw was Liverpool winning everything in sight. So for me, it was it was always it was always Liverpool. City for most of my life, and I'm 43 now, have never been a threat. They've been the team that you want to beat because they're a local rival and you have all the reasons that you have to dislike them. But competitively, there's never been um, that much rivalry in my lifetime. I mean, there was in my dad's lifetime. My dad hates City because when my dad went to school, um, there was a lot of City. It, it, was, it, wasn't quite, it wasn't half and half. It was still more United, but there was a lot of City fans. There were a lot, it was mates with City fans. And also in those days, a lot of the Jews in Manchester supported City. So, so my dad was friends with a lot of City fans for that reason too. City was sort of, well, it's obviously much more complicated and much more nuanced than this, but United were the Catholic club and City, City were a Jewish club. Uh, but my dad's family were United, so my dad was United, but he had that. Growing up in the playgrounds of Manchester, you're going to have antipathy for City, but if you didn't, then it's going to be less so. So that would be one thing. Another thing would be that for United fans, for anyone really, well, City, you can just, it's much easier to dismiss City's success as plastic and based on human rights abuses. Whereas Liverpool's is, I mean, obviously you've still got American venture capitalists involved, but it is also much more based on charisma, the charisma of Jurgen Klopp, the magnetism of Jurgen Klopp um, and the, the, the job that the backroom staff have done. In the history of football, there has probably never been a better run of transfers, of successful transfers, than what we've seen from Liverpool over the last three or four years. I mean, it's it's amazing, really. And I don't say that with any pleasure, obviously, but we have to be honest, and it remains it remains true. Oh. And So that would be another thing. Then you've also just got numbers. You've got the fact that, so for me, I wanted City to, I mean, wanted is obviously a very strong word, but I wanted City to win the league and I wanted Liverpool to win the European Cup because I'd much rather Liverpool got to seven than City got to one. I know what Liverpool winning the European Cup is like. It happened, the first time it happened in my life, I remember, I stayed up to watch the game, I was five. Um, I know what Liverpool winning the European Cup is like. It's something that happens. City winning the European Cup was something, I'd, I spent the first, what, 35, nearly 40, year, 40 years of my life thinking I would never even have to think about. Yeah, okay. And so I don't I don't want that to happen. Similarly, United have won more leagues than Liverpool. I want that to stay the case. So, yeah, I guess those are the various... It's main a, com- a complex cocktail of, of uh, little Bitterness and, up. Yeah, exactly. and pettiness yeah. and all the things that make football beautiful. Exactly. All right, Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million for explaining that. Cheers. See you. Good night. Have a good day, everyone.